So, for those people listening, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is our interim podcast that we put out every now and then between our main one, which is out every two weeks. Uh, it consists of myself and Daryl. And yeah, sometimes we just, there's so much stuff going on in the news that we just can't keep up with everything everything in the every two week podcasts so yeah, that's yeah. why we do these ones as well i thought we've just had a, a comment uh listening live so i'm just gonna read that for a second before we get really going uh, i tell you what pete pete's asking about running a charity uh raffle in the night in his uh night vision uk group if we hadn't already said we were giving it away live now we would have done that but i'll tell you what we'll do is next time somebody doesn't claim a prize we'll give you a shout yeah, and then we can we'll uh, we can we and, can run and we that. give away prizes every two weeks, so there's a high chance it's going to happen again. Yeah. So yeah, sorry about that, Pete. But good news is next time someone doesn't claim, we'll give you a shout and we'll run that as a as a raffle. Okay. What are we going to start with today? I think you should start about Channel Four Eden because that's okay, up has, there and it's lighthearted. Yeah. Okay. So uh, last week, the, the it's a few weeks now, I've been seeing an advert for Eden Channel Four. Uh, the people that are watching on Facebook Live right now, maybe you have seen the Channel 4 show Eden. Uh, well, I a couple of thumbs up. I a think few thumbs up, have. yeah. Uh, so w- I watched it, and the whole premise behind the show, and this, the way that they painted the picture was that there was a group of individuals that would have to start civilization again. Hence Eden. Hence Eden. And that I was quite intrigued by that. I, uh, I couldn't wait. Actually, they, they had people stuff. hunting, they had people fishing, um, and yeah, they had to rebuild civilization. Then I got into the show and quite realized very quickly that rebuilding civilization meant they were allowed to start with basically what they wanted. They were basically short of electricity. That was the only thing they didn't have. So the only thing it was Channel Four, right? Yeah, Channel Four. The <laughs> only thing that they've managed to do is make an outdoors Big Brother. Yeah. Yeah, so we we watched it, and when you when you start civilization again, you tend not to have a poly tunnel. Yes, they had a poly tunnel. They had copper piping for plumbing. Yes, they they, they were they made a shower. They made a shower, uh, so they could they could do proper plumbing. They had anything they wanted because they were allowed to carry in anything on their back, and then they were allowed to request as many plants and vegetables. It's, I mean, I can kind of see, I can kind of see why they did that because I think for a lot of people it would have been quite difficult to literally start from scratch. However, what really bugged me is kind of the way that the show seemed to. I actually didn't actually finish watching the the first episode, but the way that the show was going was it was very much let's we're, look we're at starting the, again. the yeah the relationship between people bickering, uh, and it was just it literally was an outdoors Big Brother at the end of it. So uh, I don't know. They're going to have to really raise their game to keep my interest <laughs> for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like Bear Grylls Island slash uh, Big Brother. It's boring. Yeah, it, it is. It's Where an did out- that come it, from? It, it, is, uh, it is an outdoors Big Brother. Uh, yeah. I, I guess that's So what, what, what you guys can do is uh, send us, leave us a comment on our, fa- on our uh, Facebook page and tell us what you think of the show at some point. I'll be interested to know what other people's view were, but you, you it's know, not what I thought it was going to be. The one thing that always amazes me with uh, these shows, and Bear Grylls, the island that's just been mentioned here, has done it as well. They've put either a vegetarian or a vegan uh, on, on it, and it is only for entertainment factor. It is, because at the end of the day, at some point, they're probably going to have to eat meat. <laughs> yeah. So, slightly disappointed. I think it had a potential of being awesome. And only 600 like- acres. Yeah, that was the other thing. They only managed to organize 600 acres for them to 
uh, for them to wander I, I was, around, I, I was a little bit, small, really. I was a little bit confused when they first walk in, because when they start the show, so just out of interest for anyone that's watching, the show Eden, the premise of it is that um, they're surviving for a whole year, so it's mm. not like three months or something, and they walk through gates and a fenced-off area, so I don't know if the area they're actually in is deer-fenced or not. I'm not sure they didn't say. But I know that they are hunting deer at some point because mm. they've already talked about it. But so, should, should we yeah. move on to the next let's thing? Let's move on to the next thing. So are you you want to go for the next thing? Uh, oh, okay, gonna... let's, let's do another lighthearted one. Let's do that. Pokemon Go. <laughs> Who on this live knows about Pokemon Go? Okay, for everybody listening, you're going to be embarrassed for him here because he actually does have it on his phone. Well, yes, no, I'm hang, pointing to my brother. Hang on, I had to do research <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> Is that your excuse? Yeah. Uh, and to, Matt Smith, your friend who was playing yeah, it with I had you? to do extensive research <laughs> of the... Um, I can get 2,000 acres for a day's hunting. Yeah, well, you, you know, when you've only got 600 acres for a whole year, it's pretty small. Yeah. The show. But anyway, back to Pokemon. Yeah, so Pokemon Go. That's what we're talking about right now. Now, anybody, because you're watching live on Facebook, the people are watching live on uh, Facebook right now, you can check out a group, and it's called... Uh, I think it's I am a vegan. Yeah, I'm a vegan Facebook page. And their most recent post has been shared 17 and a half thousand times and it's about Pokemon Go and they're saying no to Pokemon Go. Why? Why are they doing this? Because it's animal cruelty. Yes, they do not want to encourage younger kids to go around catching imaginary things in Pokeballs. Yeah, so uh, the vegans are saying no to Pokemon Go. Andy's saying Pokemon isn't for grown-ups, Daryl, so I think you need to delete that app. Uh, <laughs> Paul, uh, who's just sent us a comment, uh, is giving us some stick about not being able to cook properly at a barbecue. I have no idea what you're referencing there, Paul. Uh, the comment's coming in uh, thick and fast here, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> from James, you've got to catch them all. James, you know far too much. <laughs> well, you do. You do have to catch them all. But yeah, if anyone wants to check it out, I'm a vegan Facebook page. It's got about 6,000 people on it. But their most recent page shared 17,500 times. And they're, basically, they're saying that we shouldn't be encouraging children to just go and catch what the hell they like. Yeah. Um, well, I think the game's a little bit sad, to be honest, in my opinion. Uh, but also, I think it's a little bit pathetic that they are getting very uptight about kids catching a fictional piece of cartoon in a fictional ball on a game. But uh, it in, is a bit of fun at the end of the day. I said to Daryl when this came out, I said, well, what a waste of time kids sitting there playing. It's not like they can make any money on it. And yet... The other day, he tells me that right now on eBay, you can buy the profile, right? Yeah, pro just a profile, and £6,500. But saying that, you, you can't diss it too much, because I never knew there was this many children in my village until <laughs> that game came out. Honestly, there's about 25 children walking up and down the main street now. I didn't even know they were here. But on a serious note, actually, one thing that they have done, and I only know this from my brother. <laughs> What's my recommended caliber for Pokemon? <laughs> I, I guess it depends on which one you're trying to catch. Who, who, who commented that? From Shane. From Shane. <laughs> um, well, what I was going to say was that I think the only good thing that I can see has come of, uh, over it is that the various things that Pokestops or whatever the hell they're called. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they tend to be sites of interest, so like churches, historical monuments, so I suppose in a way, it's a kind of a way, it's a way to get people to visit these places, which are interesting. Right. We're going to move on swiftly. We we're going to move on swiftly. We're going to go on to some more important matters. Should we do Packham yet next? No, no. I'll no, tell you okay, what I'm going to do. Let's do something so this is, a bit more uh, serious. Yeah, very serious now. Yeah. Um, 
This is the Select Committee in the House of Commons, um, a debate by Jim Dowd MP, and this was with regard to snaring, so something that will affect a lot of people. Uh, it is uh, something which we've seen certainly come up in Scotland a few years ago. Uh, we have slightly different rules here with regard to the regulations, and at the time there was lots of signs on the side of uh, buses telling people how, how cruel it was to snare. But a lot of people won't be aware of this, and we will actually stick the link to the transcript of the debate on our podcast uh, Facebook page and also on our website, which if you don't know what it is, it's thepacebrothers.com. We'll stick it there. But this debate was really him bringing and, and airing the issues of snaring uh, on, on the basis that he doesn't think it should take place anymore on animal welfare basis. But what is very interesting about this, and I've read the whole transcript, is that Jim Dowd mentions the League Against Cruel Sports no less than 19 times as a means to reference reasons why snaring should no longer take place. And for those people who haven't done their research, they might be slightly surprised to find out he is actually an honorary member of the League Against Cruel Sports. Uh, surprise, surprise there. So now we start to see the angle of the debate and why he brought it up. What is even more interesting for those people who don't know much about the League Against Cruel Sports, and I did a little bit of digging just to confirm things which I, I thought I already knew. Um, there's a, a Times article, uh, again, I'll stick up the links to sh link to show you, where they came under severe scrutiny, scrutiny for making three and a half million pounds disappear. That was left to them in a will by somebody. Uh, the vast majority of it was on things which it's very debatable they should have been spending money on. So... Congratulations for uh, making three and a half million pounds disappearing without really making very much difference. In 2002, and this is probably the most important thing, and I haven't referenced this before, but I actually have the numbers here for a change. 2002, they were found to have had 107 deer die of disease or starvation in the very small sanctuary, I, I use sanctuary, the word sanctuary loosely, that they have uh, of 225 acres. Um, they originally started that. I can't remember the date they started, but it had been on the go for a long time, and they originally started it so that it was a haven for deer yeah. so they couldn't be hunted. I remember this when it was in the news. Yeah. So all they managed to do was that they didn't cull enough or uh, cull any at all. Overpopulation, high densities, half the deer died. So congratulations for that. If that's not cruel, I don't know what is. Uh, these are the kind of people that we are dealing with with regards to the League Against Cruel Sports. And don't forget that although acquitted of manslaughter, Brian Griffith was the man who, uh, in an altercation on a hunt, ended up killing uh, a, a huntsman with a gyrocopter. Now, he, he was acquitted, he was found not guilty, but he was charged and was taken to court on that. So they, they were involved in that. They are the same organization that appears at hunts and uh, disturbs people wearing balaclavas on a regular basis. And... I can quote here because this was on a video that was shown as evidence for the uh, aforementioned uh, instance where somebody died uh, by the blade of a gyrocopter. And one of the, it wasn't actually a Brian Griffiths himself, but somebody that he was there with uh, on the guy being hit on the head and landing unconscious on the ground. His comment was, oh dear, the twat didn't stand clear. I leave you with that as a thought. Those are the kind of people we're dealing with League Against Cruel Sports. Uh, as I said, uh, Jim Dowd is an honorary member, and he is the person that has brought this forward for the Common Select Committee for debate. And I have to say that if you read the transcript, it doesn't look good. 
it, it very much looks like the vast majority of people there are siding along the lines of snaring is something which I think might have a limited lifespan. Uh, it is also it important. Does, yeah, to, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Snaring. Um, it is important to know if you didn't know already, especially if you live in Scotland, that at the end of this year they will be having a review in Scotland on the ethics of snaring. The Scottish government will be having a review. I'm just going to take a second to read a couple of comments. But Byron, Byron can read the comments. I'm just going to carry on a little no, bit. No, I'm not finished on snaring oh, yet. Oh, you're not? No, no, no. Okay. There's some important stuff. Um, from Ethan, why didn't the League Against Cruel Sports focus their efforts on dog cruelty in foreign countries like the videos you always see on Facebook? Can't answer that, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. But what I wanted to say, just to finish up on snaring, was that as people of the countryside, as people who hunt and people who are involved in that aspect, who uh, look after shoots, who are gamekeepers, who might have reason to snare. It is very important that we realize that in Scotland there are rules. You need to be registered. You need to go through the training, which is um, sanctioned by the GWCT. I tried to get the numbers of uh, people who had uh, gone through the courses already, but unfortunately there was no one available to speak to me. Uh, The numbers are there, and I will find them as soon as I can get hold of somebody, but I don't know who it is. But we need more people going through these courses. More people need to know exactly how they run. There is legislation in place to make sure that we are running snares legally and ethically, and everyone needs to be doing that whether that be in England or in Scotland. And you need to make sure that you view it in a way that if you were somebody who didn't hunt and you came across that, what would you think? Make sure we're doing it right. Because if we get caught doing things we shouldn't be doing, first of all, you should get no support from the hunting community. If you've been breaking some sort of law or legislation, you will get no support because you're guilty. And secondly, just do it right in the first place because then... (laughs) yeah. Yeah, just be do, keep keep about, uh, keep on the right, right side, side of the law. law. That that is that is the bottom. Line. You make everyone else look bad at the end of the day as yeah. well. So, uh, we're, we're, do you want to read a few comments quickly? Uh, we can there's do it more. We'll read a few comments quickly, just because there's quite a few coming in. Oh, hang on, uh, Byron, uh, what's your view on uh, two seventy? Uh, for what? Oh, <laughs> uh, is this somebody being cheeky? I think it might be, maybe due to my my much dislove of the two seventy. <laughs> Oh, we've got someone watching from uh, Canada. Oh, fantastic. Hello. They don't seem to be able to hear us, but maybe they will at some point. Oh, okay. Uh, I think everyone else can hear us. Everyone else can hear us. I'm going to move swiftly, swiftly on, but it's actually keeping with the League Against Cruel Sport. This is very, very recent. This is in the last few months. The Charity Commission, which oversees all charities in the United Kingdom, has been on at the League, uh, League Against Cruel Sports again for basically lying in their advertising. And you could see this. They had posters about it. And in fact, it was on their homepage of their website as well. Their statement is, hunting is not a form of wildlife management or fox control. Who agrees with us on uh, false. on that? It is a false. And that's why the charity commission told them to wind their necks in. Uh, is that I, actually what they said? Wind your necks in? Well, I, I would have <laughs> told them, wind, wind <laughs> your neck in. Um, next. You done with that? Yep, done. Okay. Done with the League Against Cruel Sports for now. Catch and release. I'm referring to fishing, fishing. here. Now, this was kindly sent to us by uh, a podcast guest, Marina Gibson. If you don't know who she is, definitely go check her out. She has lots of great content. She's got a really good Facebook page, and she's been making some videos recently. Uh, so, yeah, go and see who she is and what she's all about. And if you want to really know who she is, 
go and check out our podcast because she was one of our guests. Yep. But what she sent was an article from fishing.tv on catch and release. Um, it was something that we touched on in our podcast. Should you catch and release? What are the ethics of it? It's an interesting debate in, in a fairly short article, which I encourage you to read, and we will share the link as well, suggesting that it may be easy to criticize catch and release because you're catching something, you're putting a fish through a lot of stress, and you're putting it back for what reason? You're, you're not eating it. But they suggested there that there's actually a lot of research done around the world with fish that are caught, tagged, released, and it is a brilliant way to monitor a river system by catching but not necessarily taking fish out of. So, yeah, I just encourage you to go and check that out. It's something which we will definitely dig into a little bit more uh, in the future. Uh, catch and release certainly seems to work, but as I said in the, the podcast with Marina, from the outside it's maybe slightly... Uh, difficult to to justify it unless you really sit and think about it. The one thing that I said at the time was that if you have nobody on the river and nobody has um, a vested interest in the river, i.e. fishermen, and the same can be said of hunters for areas, then you'll just find that it, it goes to rack and ruin. There, there's nobody monitoring it. There's nobody actually there on a day-to-day -day basis to see what's going on, to see where the problems are, to see where the blockages are to open um, little burns up for fish to come up spawning. So you do need people on the river. And if that means catch and release, then, you know, that's a good argument for it. Oh, I think it's competition time. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. 15 minutes. Who wants to win something? We've got plenty of people listening. Yeah, yeah, we've got, we've got quite a few people uh, so, listening. So if you weren't here or listening at the very start, this is what you have a chance to win. The reason for that is it was one uh, three podcasts ago, but the person never claimed, which means they never listened to the next podcast. Yep. Sorry, bad luck, but you've got to listen to the following podcast if you've entered. Bushnell Headlamp, I've been using my own one uh, for the last few months. This is what you have a chance to win. And all you have to do... I don't even know no, what Darryl you doesn't know what you've got to do. All you have to do is tell us what was the last number of our podcast. We've had... 20-something podcasts out so far. The last one was out last Thursday. What number was it? You just gave him a massive clue. Yeah, well, there's 10 different digits to yeah, choose okay, from. Okay, okay. There's 20-something uh, to choose from. If you have us on iTunes or Stitcher, all you've got to do is go into your app right now. Or well, even on SoundCloud. It tells SoundCloud. you on all of them. It tells you at the start of every episode what number it is. So tick-tock, tick-tock. Somebody's going to get it any minute. So if you want to win the Bushnell headlamp, you better get looking. And while you're in there, if you haven't downloaded oh, it... Oh, we have a winner. Who? John. Uh, do you actually know what number it is? I, I'm going to double check. <laughs> We've had two different numbers. Oh, my 24, phone, my 23. There, I can't check. 25. You guys are just guessing. Yeah, I can't check. Byron's going to check here. It's terrible. I don't even know what number our own podcast is. Give me one second. I'm going to see who got it right first. We have some other interesting stuff to uh, talk about very shortly. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, drone-assisted uh, hunting. We're going to talk about emojis. Yeah, of all things. You never thought you'd hear that on a hunting podcast. We're going to be talking about Chris Packham, so don't go away. Packham is... Uh, what number is it? Yeah, so it was whoever guessed 24 first. You've gone too far. Yeah. Uh, there we are. John. John Cameron Dunn. John Cameron Dunn. You are the winner. You are the winner. Send us a message, please. Uh, after not, the show. On, not on this. Not, not on this feed because we'll this lose feed, it. Send us a private, a private message. message. And that's it. Congratulations. You just won yourself a Bushnell headlamp. Leanne loves an emoji. <laughs> <laughs> we know you do, Leanne. 
Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about emojis. Well, let's then, talk about since emojis. You brought it right. up. So obviously, over the last few months, weeks, years, uh, we've been having atrocities happening across the world to do with gun crime, various other things, mass shootings, and terrorism, and, terrorism and so on. And we're not going to go into that whole matter right now of mass shootings and gun, uh, the types of guns and so on. But I would say this has a large reason, reason to do with why Google, Apple, and Facebook have banned the rifle emoji for the Rio Olympic Games. Yeah. Sad times. Yeah, sad if times. If that's not giving into terrorism, I don't know what is, to be honest. I think it's pretty uh, pathetic that J- they've John, taken it down. I lost the signal. How do I claim? Uh, John, just send us a private message, and after the show, we'll, we'll uh, be in contact with you. Yeah. But make sure you send us a private message or we'll yeah, send lose. us a private message. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can't use the the rifle emoji. Yep. Uh, I don't really use emojis anyway, so it doesn't really <laughs> bother me. But the principle, <laughs> the principle bothers me. Yeah. That we're we're taking that down for what reason? Who are we giving into for that? Remember, it's just pathetic. Gun emojis don't kill people. Yeah. People do. Yeah, and guns don't kill people either. The person behind the trigger does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next. Uh, do you want to talk about drone assisted hunting? Yeah, okay, we'll talk about drone assisted hunting. Um, I mean, I guess this has got a bit. We, we do... can we can put a little open question out because we'll take some comments. Yeah, from okay, this. let's do this and we'll come back to it. What's people's takes on drone assisted hunting? So you'd use a drone, which everybody knows what a drone is now. Yeah, fly UAV, that up in the air drone, yeah. and use it to scout an area, find out where game is, and yeah, then go and hunt it from. The comfort, well, you, you'd be able to find where they are from the comfort of your vehicle, I suppose. Yeah, you could, yeah. Even if they were three, four kilometers out. Somebody just put an emoji of a pistol. Yeah, yeah. That, that one hasn't been taken down. It's for the, the Olympic Games, they released like 150 emojis, and the rifle wasn't included in it for reasons beyond me. Yeah. So for the people listening, give us a, give us a, a yes or no comment on the Facebook Live. Would Should drone assisted hunting be allowed should you be allowed to use a drone to go and scout areas that you're going to go and hunt give us some yes and no's and we'll come back to that and we'll add them up pete yes especially thermal drones Ooh, sounds a bit too call of duty yeah no so we've had a yes we've had a no and a no and from davy uh, he uses his drone to find bunny paths uh, any chance we can do these in the evening? Uh, Robert, we will be doing some in the evening. But don't worry, Robert. You're This This is going out on the podcast, so you'll be able to listen to it you'll anytime you want. Anytime. So if you've got to go, you'll be able to download it, yeah. so don't worry. Right, let's move on to yes. the next No, thing. no, we can, we've got people coming in. Uh, we, can, we can tackle this now. Uh, uh, Yawan said yes. Robert, Takes no. the stalker out of no. it. Yep. Yeah, I'd say the vast majority of people are for no. One or two yeses. So the reason why we bring this up is there was actually a video came out of South Africa yep. uh, advertising drone-assisted hunting. Part of it was for actually locating game, as I su- was suggesting with your asking for your comments. But part of it was also for following up wounded game or game that had run on and died. I think this has some serious questions over it about what we should and shouldn't allow. Uh, you could maybe even throw in thermal imaging for daytime stalking. Should that be allowed? Drone-assisted hunting. I, I I just don't see the point. If it's if it's a hunt for for pleasure, if you're doing it because you enjoy hunting, why on earth would you want to go and locate the game first with a drone? 
if it's from management, if you've got an area where you're going in and you're, say, so let's take Africa, for example, because that's where the video came from. If you are going to um, maybe go and cull a certain number in a certain area, that might be a really efficient way of doing it instead of having to bring in a helicopter. If you were going to go and uh, if you needed to go and dart an elephant for recoloring, brilliant. Save the, save the fuel in a helicopter, use a drone. Should recreational hunters be using it? I think there are some serious questions over that. And I would also suggest, I think, as a hunter, you should ask yourself some serious questions of why on earth do you hunt if you want to go and find your game with a drone? We've got a couple of other comments here. Uh, if you've got, uh, this is from Yaron, if you've got large numbers to stalk in a large area, then you might need to do it to do the job better. Yaron, I, again, I, think, I think you're talking about management there, are you? Management, you must be. If you're talking about management, yeah, as I said, I can maybe see justification, but we've managed a very long time without it. If it's for recreational hunting, I just don't think it should be allowed. Jack said no. Uh, Pete, seen it with thermal at night using drone. Yeah, I mean, big questions over that if it's not for management. Uh, where's the field cross and using a drone? Yeah, Rob, totally agree with you. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, the bottom line is, is that in this country, it probably never happened as such because the, the operator would actually be using it for commercial purposes. Would, yeah. So then would actually come under a CAA license and nighttime flying with thermals that you're just saying is almost impossible to do in this country mm. uh, under CAA law. I only know this because I've actually done my drone and UAV uh, course. Uh, CAA course. Interesting comment from uh, from Davy Scott here. He said, "No, the next thing we'll be using it to shoot uh, shoot the game." That's, <laughs> I mean, that's a very good point, Davy. I mean, where does where does it end? You use a drone to go and locate the game you want to hunt. Why stop there? Why not just shoot it from the drone? If yeah, and the technology obviously, it's not it, available. Uh, it's not available to the public, but that technology exists. So I think there's serious questions there and something we should all think about. And we will definitely uh, probably dig into that yeah, with, we'll, with we'll, a guest at some point. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. What, what, what's on next? So I want to talk about lions. Okay. Uh, not particularly, uh, <laughs> not something we, we deal with here in the UK, but we see it debated all the time. In fact, just today's newspaper, there was talk about lions and saving lions from, from hunting in Africa. There was a report out which... Uh, I urge you to go and have a look at. Uh, it is called Keeping the Lion's Share. Uh, it was a report done by the SCI on the four, four of the biggest animal charities in the world and four of the biggest that make a lot of noise about lion hunting in particular. Uh, that included Born Free, which everybody will have heard of. Now, looking at their tax returns, which are publicly available in the States, they generated £150 million in one tax year. Not even 1% of that went to Africa. And of that 1%, I, I don't know how much went uh, specifically towards the conservation of lions, but not even 1% of 150 million pounds. To give you a comparison, hunters in Africa, in rural parts of Africa, spent 200 million in the same period. 200 million, they didn't even spend 1% of 151 million that they made. But what is more interesting than that was these charities make a lot of noise about hunters going to going to hunt, especially the big game and lions in particular because of Cecil a year ago. But what is very interesting is that the charity Watchdog did a bit of research, uh, an investigation into these um, charities, and a number of them are categorized as D, which this is categorization for how good the charity is basically at using their funding. Category D means that more than 50% 
of the money that is given to the charity goes on overheads. It's paying the fat cats at the top of the charities, and it's paying for lots of fancy travel. You go and dig into any of these, and I, I bet you you'd be pretty disgusted at what you find. And Born Free, although I don't have the number, is Category C, which is just one better than the more than 50%. So even a big name like that is spending a shed ton of their money not actually going to where you would think it would be going. So before they start criticizing hunters about uh, hunting lions and plowing 200 million into Africa every year, I think we should be asking some big questions about the money that they are putting into the things that they're criticizing. Agreed. I mean, you've always got to question charities when the, the CEOs are making 140, 150,000 pounds a year. <clears throat> Not very charitable, is it? No. And then they're asking people for their hard-earned money that that could be well the thing is is they target they target uh elderly people a lot we've seen this with recent investigations pretty disgusting what's been going on in some cases not all cases but uh there has been there is certainly within some charitable organizations and a lot of wildlife organizations where they specifically target um elderly people uh, with a with a love of either domestic animals or, or wildlife uh, I, because I, they know that they're vulnerable. I gave money to uh, a charity that was stopping bears being abused. Did you? I did, yes. And it was like t- bear baiting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you know, cutting out for gallbladders yeah. and so on. Uh, I I had I don't know how much I gave them. It was quite a bit of money, and I got a phone call every single week for about a year after that and that made me putting off, put off giving them any more money for the reason that they were just they, they were they're harassing me mm. yeah and no, they're, they're it... after one thing and they're after one thing what what are, we, what are we talking about next can we have you got another thing uh okay well this is quite a short one and this has actually happened a few times with different animals uh over the last few months but this is a more recent one seal pups mm. in washington have been killed recently by They've been uh, left on the beach by their mothers, like most animals do. Uh, they'll leave their young behind. They'll go off and hunt, and then they'll return. And people have been picking them up, taking them home, and taking them to animal charities. And by the time they get there, they're dead. So if you see a young animal, especially in the, the springtime or any kind of breeding time, leave them alone. Simple as that. Yeah, and that's same same as with deer. Yeah, same as with deer. Yeah, that that well. happens quite a lot. And I think one of the... Uh, one of the Irish deer organizations actually put out a statement a few months ago with regard to exactly that because they're having a problem oh. with people bringing in de- little baby deer to vets saying, look what I found. They're like, well, yeah, it was left there for a reason by its mother. Let ne- nature do its thing and don't interfere. We, we, uh, we spoke about the incident that happened at Yellowstone National Park where some tourists picked up a baby bison, shoved it in the back of their um, car and drove it to the ranger station and said, oh, there's an abandoned ba- baby di- dyson? bison is that a combination between a diker and a bison yeah yeah. (laughs) and uh the ranger's like well yeah thanks for that but you just killed it because we can't reintroduce it back to the herd and that was it it did actually die unbelievable yeah uh back to international matters uh if cites if you don't know what cites is we're going to be having a podcast very specifically on cites very soon but they are meeting in September this year. I actually, I think I probably mentioned it in a podcast not that long ago, but I certainly mentioned it in an article that I wrote for Sporting Rifle Magazine. 
uh, on uh, just, the... Uh, sorry, just one second. Uh, Matthew uh, Clark, it will be up as a podcast. So I know you're in the gym right now. You can carry on with your workout. I appreciate <laughs> that. I will be working out later on uh, with uh, <laughs> with my friend Murray. So I'll be in the gym later as well. Yeah, this, it should be out tonight, right? Yeah, it should be out tonight. I know someone else just asked uh, another question there. Will there be any more prizes? Yes, there will be more prizes, but not on this podcast. You just need to listen to the podcast before and there's still a prize yeah. to be given away. Podcast before, set of Coldwell shooting sticks. Yeah. Which are here. Listen to the podcast before, and it's an Instagram... Uh, inst- well, I'll tell you what it is, because we told you at the start. Yeah. If you want to win these, go on to Instagram and tag Pace underscore Brothers in a picture. Uh, uh, one, one more thing before Byron can carry on. Uh, Davey, thank you for that message. RSPB took $5 million from charitable con- contributions to fill a hole in their pension fund. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know where you got those facts, Davey. I trust that you read them somewhere, but uh, we'll, we'll go with that unverified until I've yeah. until the thing, but thanks for the information. Uh, that, that came from uh, from Davey Scott, who's listening and commenting. So yes, back to what I was saying. CITES meet in September this year. One of the, Two of the things that they're going to be discussing in September is moving elephants and lions to Appendix 1. The long and short of that is that it will be far more difficult to export the trophies of elephants and lions, which you might think, well, okay, that's fine. What does that actually mean? Now, Ron Thompson, who is a very eminent uh, hunter and in the last couple of decades, uh, very well known across Africa for his conservation work, has come out and urged all African countries to remove themselves from CITES. And he basically has said that they haven't done enough, uh, that CITES has been hijacked by animal rights organizations, and that the biggest problems of meat poaching and ivory and rhino horn poaching in Africa are getting worse. And the fact that um, CITES haven't actually managed to do anything that curtails that is the real issue. The only people that CITES applies to really are the people who are doing it legally anyway, who are paying and need to export the trophies that they've hunted in managed areas. The people who are doing it illegally, who are killing rhinos and poaching ivory off of elephants, they don't care what societies have to say. <laughs> they don't care what put, anyone has no, to they're say. They're putting it in, in shipping containers and getting it off to Asia anyway. So he has a very fair point, and we're going to be digging into this a lot. We're just trying to get the, together all the elements so that we can give you a really good debate uh, and podcast on it. But if you go and check out Ron Thompson. Just Google his name, Ron Thompson Conservation. He's a really, really interesting guy. He... There's a lot of weight in what he has to say because there will be very, very few people on this planet today who know more about Africa or have done more with big game and wildlife in Africa than this man has. So I, I put a lot of weight in what he says, and yeah, he, he probably is right. Uh, James, uh, what are views if they reintroduce into reintroduce links back into Britain? Well, James, incidentally, if you haven't already, we've actually done a two and a half hour long show about Link's reintroduction, talking to the lead scientist involved uh, with the, the Link's project. And in a week's time, we'll also have a bit more of a rewilding debate coming yes, from Schoon Palace. So there's two podcast shows kind of almost dedicated to, to Link's. So yeah, you'll uh, find that. I can't remember what number it is, but you'll find it on iTunes. Really it, interesting it's, a, it's a big debate. And we won't get too much into it right now because there's so many different aspects to it and the views of why yeah. why but we think. It's pretty well thrashed out in that podcast. So I urge you to go and check out the, the Lynx podcast that we did. 
and that will certainly give you good information and also give you an insight into the people who are, are pushing to reintroduce them. But I tell you, you found out something interesting today what? about the, the, was it Panthers that have been released? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this was to do with, uh, I've, everybody must have seen it, the links that was released uh in released sorry escaped escaped i say escaped it could have been released who knows um from the zoo down in devon the owner of the zoo in the 80s admitted to letting a whole bunch of uh the black panther looking things out as well and they were actually apparently this is from a newspaper so take it as as you will uh, apparently they lived successfully up until 2009 or 2010 where a really hard winter killed them out which doesn't surprise me actually because it just shows you where the, all the big cat sightings must have come from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were releasing panthers during the 80s yeah what have you got left Al? i've got packham oh yes packham now put your hands up if you like a bit of chris packham I'm any, sure that the vast majority hands? of people who listen to this probably saw his uh, YouTube release about a week ago now. Well, he actually made two. There was a short one and a long one. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, basically, it, it's his push against driven grouse shooting. He wants to get driven grouse shooting shut down, closed down, banned, whatever you want to call it. He doesn't want to see it anymore. Uh, he is a massive, massive supporter of Mark Avery. He um, is asking people to join against uh, to join the league against cruel sports. We <laughs> talked about them at the that's very start. thumbs up for Packham. Everybody's <laughs> loving a bit of Packham. <laughs> uh, so if if you're only just joining us now, listen to what I said at the very start about league against cruel sports. Chris Packham wants everyone to join them. Um, that might say a little bit about the man. Uh, but it, it's it's a really important discussion to be having this this issue with with Chris Packham and what he has to say. Everybody has a right to to say what they want to say. I mean, we we have free speech. It's it's a free world. Well, we live in the free world. Not all the world's a free world. (laughs) Yeah, but we should be able to say what's on our mind. However, uh, the main issue is that he is a BBC broadcaster who is in pretty much every wildlife program that they put out. BBC is a public broadcaster. Which which the public pay for. Which we pay for. Yep. And it very, very clearly, he has this fixation on one single item of the field sports community and a lot of what he says, there are massive, massive holes in, as indeed half of uh, Mark Avery's book, there's massive holes in. Uh, it did make me smirk slightly that the one instance that he could give of large numbers of grouse being shot was from 1915. <laughs> not exactly a, 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 recent, <clears throat> a recent example of large bags of grouse. That's not to say that they don't shoot a, a lot of grouse these days. They do, and there's still record bags being shot, but that is down to, to good management and practice. So, yeah, uh, the, the main issue from my point of view is that the public who don't necessarily know very much about shooting and hunting in the countryside listen to Chris Packham because he's on their TV. So he, they see them as a, a, a friendly figure on Springwatch or whatever it yeah. is. Then they catch his social media posts and YouTube videos and they believe every word that he says because, of course, he's employed by the BBC of course, what he's saying is true. Well, that's what their perception is. Now, it's my understanding from a bit of reading that I've done that he has actually breached some um, BBC regulation by telling people to join particular organizations. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I believe that there's a bit of an investigation going on right now. So who knows what's going to happen there. But he, for the most part, is going to continue to bring out these videos. I don't know. He never said how often, but he's bringing out a series of videos against grouse shooting. Yep. And uh, all the facts from Mark Avery's books. We, yeah. we, incidentally, we have actually had uh, 
dialogue through some of our listeners with Chris Packham inviting him on our show. Multiple times. Multiple times. And because we are the only hunting and countryside uh, podcast uh, radio show in the UK with thousands of listeners now. Thank you, everyone that's been listening. It's been pretty outstanding the amount yeah, of the people the last six months the amount of people that have been downloading <laughs> our show and he but chris packham was complaining that he had no platform sorry about that everyone we uh had a slight communication issue the internet decided to uh kick us off we were talking about chris packham and I've incidentally lost my piece of paper, but it doesn't matter. We were talking about Chris Packham, and we had invited him onto our show. And we'd given him multiple invites, and his biggest complaint was that he had no platform to go on, uh, like, the field or any article. He said he, he had asked to have articles published in some of our hunting publications, uh, but everyone had declined. Everyone had declined. So we, we said, well, why don't you come on our show? Yeah, we can have a, we can get some other people on from the other side of the fence and have a real um, in-depth, honest debate and really flesh out some of the issues, like his his issue with heather burning, for example, yep. uh, which he, he brought up in, in one of his videos. But he hasn't got back to us. So I don't know if he really wants a debate or he just wants to stand and preach what uh, his think, view is. I think he wants to stand and preach. I think preach. he wants to stand and preach. So, yeah, that's Chris Packham. I'm sure we're going to be seeing a little bit more of him. And we do have very good intentions of getting a couple of people on to talk about um, that particular issue and talk about him. I would love to actually have him on. Uh, we're going to keep trying. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able, you never know. We might be able to bring you that this year. We'll try anyway. We've managed to bring you nearly everyone else that people have asked for. Mm. We've had uh, Donnie Vincent on. Now... Uh, Two more things that I want to talk about. You've got everything off your list. I've lost my piece of paper. Uh, you can try and find that <laughs> while I'm talking. Uh, first thing I'm going to talk about is close to home. Uh, some people will have seen today uh, a report on STV News of an alleged illegal trap being set in Grampian. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's out in the news. I don't have any more details other than what I very quickly uh, glimpsed, but it is on, I believe, on a grouse moor. Um, and... Yeah, you can go and read it if you go and check out STV. All that we can say to that is that you've got to stay within the law. The laws are there for a reason. And if you break them, then I'm afraid tough luck as far as support from the hunting community is concerned. I'm not suggesting that all the laws and regulations we have in place are necessarily right, uh, but we have to work within them. And if you don't like them, the only thing you can do is work to change them. Yeah, to try and change them. And until you change them, you've got to work within them. So it's really frustrating that somebody has allegedly, I don't have any more details, but allegedly broken the law with an, I don't know if it was actually an illegal trap or an illegally set trap that had caught a seagull of all things. But yeah, that's what's there. But if you're guilty, I'm afraid you're guilty and you'll find no support here. And that's the stance that we have to take. We need to support the people who clearly have done nothing wrong, who clearly have been set up by anti-hunting organizations, and that happens a lot. It has, um, and it's happened It's happened very close, close, to, close home. to home here. Um, but if you have genuinely done something wrong, then I'm sorry. But you need to know what the laws are. The last thing I want to talk about was uh, just something I very quickly saw today, which was uh, kind of... I should have probably brought this up when we were talking about lions and rhino. Uh, but John Hume who is the probably the largest private owner 
of uh, rhinos in the world. In fact, I've been there. I made an anti-poaching film on his farm in South Africa. He has... Uh, uh, he had an excess of a thousand rhinos when I was there. I have no idea how many he has now. This was a few years ago when I was there. And he is asking that we make a push to trade rhino horn, legally yep. trade it. And basically what he's saying is that eventually the funds are going to run out. He's looking after all these rhino and all the farms around Africa are looking after all these rhino for zero return. You can't really hunt them anymore. It's very difficult to get um, uh, CITES permits to hunt them. So there's no income coming in that way or limited income coming in that way. You can't sell the horn and yet they need 24-hour protection pretty much and you have to cut the horns off to try and minimize the potential of poachers coming. An open trade in ivory, sorry, not ivory, uh, well, that is another debate, <laughs> but an open trade in rhino horn could very well be the answer. If, if, farm, if they farmed rhino like you farm cattle, for those people who don't know, rhino horn grows back. So you don't have to kill the animal. You basically just harvest it. You cut it off every three to four years, and then you sell that in a market that's been made legal. Then there would be incentive. Then there'd be serious money, extra money available to look after and protect those yeah. rhino. And I think it's something we really need to do because what is happening right now is not working. And there's a lot of private individuals basically protecting the last rhino that are there. Uh, it's certainly not working in the national parks. Well, every six months you find out that half a dozen rangers are actually the poachers. Yeah. Uh, we got a comment coming in, so I will just read that before we wrap up. Um, do you have any experience on how the latest thermal imaging is being used for anti-rhino -po poaching technologies? Uh, it has lots of applications, and yeah. Hang on, I can't actually see the end of your comment there, Paul. Um, uh, oh, tracking oh, the they're links. saying that yeah. they're now assisting tracking the, the links. That's uh, uh, Paul from Scott Country. Uh, I think, well, just for if you're just talking the terms of what we think of thermal imaging when it comes to anti-poaching, I think it's probably a piece of a tool that will keep them ahead of the game. Yeah. Uh, thermal imaging one, it'll allow them to locate animals f faster in the bush. Uh, secondly, they can see poachers. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, point, that, Paul. And it kind of counters what we were talking about earlier, which was drone-assisted hunting and th thermal drones for hunting, which we've already talked about that. But for use as a tool for management and anti-poaching, fantastic. I, don't, I, I know of a couple of places that have them, uh, that are using them. The issue, though, is two things. One is the noise. So it's pretty obvious, unless you're flying very high, uh, on a on a still day that there's something flying around uh that's not to say they'll be able to get out of the way but you know poachers they're 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 uh pretty pretty smart when it comes to evading the authorities so that is a small issue but also is the the limitation in actual range so they've been using them for some areas but and some and, of those places and funding as well yeah funding too F yeah, funding funding is a big thing um so yeah, it is an interesting and a brilliant application. They are already using thermal, not in drones, but I know the vast majority of um, anti-poaching units in Africa, if they can afford it, have thermal of some description on the ground because that's a brilliant way to be able to see what's in the bush. And if, if poachers are evading you and they go and hunker down somewhere hoping that you're going to walk past them, it becomes very, as you know, Paul, uh, Paul from Scott Country, I mean, they... You guys know probably better than most people, uh, certainly in the UK, as to uh, all the ins and outs of, of night vision um, through Scott Country. 
fantastic way to be able yeah. to locate things that you wouldn't otherwise see. Uh, I, one, one of the problems that I'm just thinking there that, that you have is a lot of these guys or outfits probably purchased thermal imaging when it first started coming out a wee while ago. And it probably was very, very expensive at the time. And the technology's moved on so fast now that they're probably left with some stuff that's not quite up to the standard of what you can get yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it certainly has improved a share though. I can't keep up with the advancements. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's our uh, news update. Um, some interesting things in there. Some things close to home. Some things. So- sorry for the Facebook people that it cut off halfway. Well, it was more than halfway through, but uh, we were let down by rural internet. Yeah, rural internet, which is also another issue to do with uh, the countryside, because we actually have our internet uh, beamed in by satellite where we are. Yeah. I'm just about to move to a house that there's no mobile phone signal in. So I need to tackle that in the next few days. (laughs) In one way, it's nice, but it's no way to run a business. No, it's not. But thank you, everyone, that has listened on iTunes or a way to listen on iTunes and listened on Facebook because we've never actually done a full streamed Facebook um, podcast like this before. So, yeah, thank you very much. Remember, you can download it anytime on iTunes which is apple then uh, stitcher which is apple and any android device as well then you've also got soundcloud which covers all devices but mainly for desktop and you can actually download on it and now tune in radio as well which uh incidentally i found out this morning works with my sonos system so i can actually get our podcasts uh through our sonos system for those people uh oh, and on youtube yes it yeah, is on YouTube. So all the shows are on youtube as well so there's no. So you'll be able to watch this back. You'll be able to watch this back, but there's no excuse of not watching our our podcasts or listening to our podcasts. When's the next episode out? Oh, actually, that's a good question. I assume you're referring to our online series, uh, Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness. Thanks very much for asking that. Sorry, my eyes are not as good as Daryl, so that's why I'm leaning into the camera. Robert, thanks for asking that, Robert. I, funny enough, I finished putting it on the timeline yesterday. I've got a little bit of tidying up to do, so next week. I don't know when, but next week it'll yeah, be out. So you, you don't have too long to wait. And Episode it's four. Out. Uh, Gary, oh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks to everyone. Uh, we'll be coming to Ragley. Unfortunately not. We are so, so busy. We've been to as many game fairs as we can this year. But August, this month, is a very, very busy month. He gets month. married. Yeah, for, for everyone. Uh, and then almost straight away, we're flying to Ukraine, and then we're doing a massive project uh, in Norway straight after that. So it's kind of... Yeah. It's just too hectic. It's too, it's too hectic. We've got too much going on. Don't forget that this podcast is only made possible by the support of the Scottish Association for Country Sports. These guys here. Uh, if you don't know who they are... Oh, pointing wrong one. <laughs> ...what they're about, then go check them out. They've got a great Facebook page, loads of information. If you like the kind of stuff that we talk about on a, a weekly or two-weekly basis... Definitely go and follow them on Facebook because on there they on they on a daily basis will be putting up news items and they feed us a lot of interesting information. Sometimes stuff that is not necessarily available uh, in terms of a public domain right now, but we're able to bring you on the podcast. Uh, so they're they're an integral part to be able to uh, bring this to you, and they support the podcast. So uh, a big thanks yep. to them as always. Go check them out. And this shows out every two weeks. Normally, normally every two weeks. Sometimes it's more, like it has been this month. And we give away prizes every two weeks on this show. Awesome prizes. We just gave a one away on this show, yeah. live on Facebook. And right now, you can win a pair of Caldwell shooting sticks. 
Yes. Go check us out on Instagram. Instagram. Tag us in a photo. Tag us in a picture. Win. Done. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye for now.